This morning's passage is 2 John, which is found on page 1229 of the Church Bibles. Okay. The Elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. My name's Tim, as you've probably realised by now. Uh, I'm a member here at Christchurch. And just before we come and look at God's word together, let's, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have together this morning to meet, uh, to look at your word, for the freedom we enjoy in doing that. Uh, and as we look at this part of your word to us, we ask that your Holy Spirit would make it alive, would make it real, would help us to understand what you have to say and how we should live in response. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. There's uh, always been a battle for the truth. Way back in the Garden of Eden, there was only truth until Satan came and deceived Adam and Eve. Did God really say? You will not die. God doesn't want what's best for you, I do. It's the substance of our popular culture and entertainment. Films, books, plays are all based on stories around the fight for truth. Uh, sometimes it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I've learnt 
to hide the wrappers when I'm eating chocolate in secret and to wipe my face afterwards now. But we get the idea. Truth can be something very flippant. But we all know that the truth matters. It matters deeply and significantly. And I don't need to make any comments about some of the characters on the screen, do I? To understand how significant the truth is. Uh, and not to get pulled off this morning into a big philosophical tangent, uh, but the truth absolutely matters. We know the truth is not just a personal preference or opinion that an individual may hold. Uh, the idea of my truth as a valid alternative to the truth just doesn't work. Here's a couple of online definitions about what people generally understand by my truth. Uh, and you can see it's a nonsense. You know, people, you know this, is, this is what the world says about people who say and argue for my truth. They say it's a pretentious substitute for a non-negotiable personal opinion. Basically, it's an argument just to not admit that you might be wrong and someone else might be right. Or someone else has a valid opinion that's different to yours. It's so easy for us to have a flexible view of the truth. So things can be ever so slightly spun or adapted so that things work in our favour. And we think that's okay because it really doesn't have much of a detrimental effect on anybody else, does it? Well, of course, the truth we're talking about here this morning is God's truth, the absolute truth. The truth from the God who loves his creation so much that he came and died for it, and whose truth has been tested and proved to be true and trustworthy throughout history. This uh, mini-series we're entering into uh, is entitled Love Letters. And despite focusing on truth as we begin, I think we'll see how love is expressed through John's letters to the church and Christians like us. But John begins with the truth. And as we see, or we will see, truth is in fact founded and grounded, or sorry, love is in fact founded and grounded in the truth. John wrote this set of three letters, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, uh, because he loved those he was writing to. And he was concerned that the church and, and Christians like us would hold on to the truth and not be taken in by the destructive lies of false teachers. His love for them was genuine and real and he didn't want them to lose the blessings that they had and enjoyed as people who knew God's grace, mercy and peace. A little bit of background, and uh, not to get taken off too far, but in, in John's time, uh, the false te teaching of Gnosticism, it's an interesting word this morning, we'll test you on it later, uh, was starting to infiltrate the church. And really, Gnosticism had three key points, and it's still prevalent today in various forms. It had the idea that spiritual is good and physical is evil. So it doesn't really matter how we live physically, because our spirits are saved, so we're okay. It says that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh as a real human being. And thirdly, it has the idea that salvation is found through acquiring some divinely given knowledge. It's quite mysterious, mystical almost. Well, these things are simply not true, and they contradict what the Bible teaches. 
that salvation and eternal life is a free gift of God by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and it applies to us physically as well as spiritually. The lies of Gnosticism are alive and well today. Uh, we can see them spread across social media with ideas that we'll find peace and purpose um, as we seek the truth within us because God is in us somehow. So often today we're told, just be true to yourself. It has a similar idea to the teachings that John was addressing. So 1 John uh, was written to address some fundamental truths and goes into some details so believers would know that they have eternal life and they can test those who bring false teaching. And then 2 John is much shorter and much pointed and John really wants to pull together some of that teaching and help us to understand how important the truth is and how truth relates to love and obedience so that we can guard against being deceived. And 3 John, but we'll come to that in a few weeks. So this morning, as we start this series and look at the first part of 2 John, there's three main things I want to see this morning. Firstly, the truth matters. I think hopefully you've got the sense of that already. The second is the connection between truth and love. And then thirdly, what it means to walk in the truth. But oddly, our letter begins with the lady. Not the ladies, as that might, sign might suggest, but the lady. Um, and now the truth is, excuse the pun, that uh, we really don't need to get hung up with the lady or who or what she is. Uh, she could be an individual, a real lady, an individual person, or it could be a metaphor for the church. Uh, throughout the Bible, the church is described in the female form and particularly as the bride of Christ. And Christ himself is the bridegroom. But for our purposes this morning, it really doesn't matter. The message that John wants us to hear and learn is the same either way. Personally, I lean towards the idea of being, the lady being another name for the church. But it really doesn't matter. So our first point this morning really is that the truth matters because of what it is and who it is. I'm sure you noticed that five times in those first few verses that were read to us from 2 John, uh, the author mentions truth uh, five times. It's pretty repetitive. And in verse 3, he connects the truth to how we can know God's grace, mercy and peace. So, what is the truth? Well, firstly, God himself is truth. As the origin and creator of all things, there is no one or anyone, anything else to reference or benchmark God against. Just as he is the source of life and all things, he is therefore the source of all truth. Nothing existed before or outside of God. Genesis 1 begins before the universe existed, and it says, in the beginning, God. If you just flip back a page into the end of 1 John, uh, John clearly states there that he, God, is the true God and eternal life. So God is truth. Secondly, God's word, the Bible, is truth. 
In 2 Timothy 3.16, we're told that all scripture is God-breathed, is given by God. It's given by the God of truth, who cannot lie. Now, there are very few things that God cannot do, but lying is one of them. To lie would be in opposition to his own character. It would be unjust, it would be unloving, it would be untrustworthy, it would not be holy. And all these things God is. So therefore, if God lied, God would not be God. Now, for many years in our courts, witnesses would have to place their hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth. A recognition that truth is important and we stand before the God of truth who knows all things. In chapter 1 of John's Gospel, not his letters, but John's Gospel, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Now here and numerous times in the Bible we see that Jesus himself is the Word. And Jesus' words are recorded for us in the Bible. So the truth is something we can know and study and practice. It's contained in our Bibles through the historical stories, through the commands and principles, through the discussions and doctrine and biographies of Jesus' life and his teachings. It's all there. And the truth is not just something we can know, but it's someone we can know. We see the personification or the representation of truth in Jesus himself. Some 2,000 years ago, as Jesus lived and taught on the earth, and he said, for example, in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 2 of our passage, John reminds us that as Christians, the truth lives in us. We have the Holy Spirit, who is also called the Spirit of Truth, living in us, prompting us and guiding. It makes you wonder sometimes why we have such a problem with the truth, doesn't it? But we'll come to that later. So if Jesus is the personification of truth, it might help to understand a little bit about who Jesus is. And we could spend the next year looking at this, so we won't, very briefly. Firstly, Jesus is the Son of God. Now that's not a title of inferiority, but a title of status, in the sense that he is equal with God the Father. In a similar way to how the words of the king's son would carry the same authority as the king himself. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, three persons who've existed together in perfect loving relationship from eternity past. One God consisting of three persons. Jesus is fully God and he's also fully man. He took on human form when he was born to Mary. And Jesus lived a sinless life and died in our place, taking our punishment instead of us so that God would uh, forgive us and um, reconcile us to himself. And then Jesus one day will return again in his glory when every knee will bow before him. Some gladly, 
some fearfully. The fact that God became flesh, became a real physical man in the person of Jesus, is one of these fundamental truths that we, we see. And in fact, it's a key test to spot the false teachers around us, even today. So many around us uh, deny that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And it's one of the key issues that caused John to write this uh, letter to us. And you see that in verse 7. In fact, a little bit earlier in 1 John, um, chapter 4, uh, we read this. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledged that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Sorry, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is from acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So the truth is something we can know and someone, Jesus, we can know. It's contained in the Bible, so we can learn it and apply it. It's living in us through the Holy Spirit who helps us to learn and apply the truth of his word. It's something we do as we walk in it, as we'll see in a moment. It's everlasting because God is everlasting. And it's unchanging because God is unchanging. And the truth is what we'll be judged by. Jesus tells us in John chapter 21, There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. As we've already noted, Jesus' words are the truth. And knowing the truth will set us free. Free from our slavery to sin and free to love God and enjoy him and his blessings forever. All of this means that none of us get to follow our natural desire to choose and decide what the truth is or how we should relate to the truth or how we should even make it up for ourselves because the truth isn't relative to us. It's absolute because it's from God and God is truth. Instead of making it up for ourselves, we should work hard to find out what the truth is, to seek it out, to understand it, and as our passage encourages us, to walk in it. I want to think about the connection between truth and love. You know, we cannot love God or others outside of the truth. Love is grounded, it's anchored in truth. The very phrase true love should remind us that love is more than just an emotional feeling or desire. In fact, we should really be wary of our emotions and desires. That we're broken people. And we often admit ourselves, don't we, that our emotions get the better of us. There is a love that is true and good, and there is a love that is not. There is a risk that we declare that God is love, which he is, but we ignore the fact that God is truth and love. 
If we're not careful, that can lead us to express love in an incomplete or even twisted way. I'm sure you've either experienced this or seen this. Uh, we love someone to the point we don't want to upset them. So we excuse their bad behaviour, which in turn can grow and, de and develop into something evil and destructive. Or we claim someone doesn't love us because they're not allowing us to get away with our selfish behaviour and we damage that relationship. The God of truth loves us so much that he wants to have a relationship with us. And the cost of that relationship was the life of his son. And the price was so high because the truth of our sin and rejection of God could not be ignored. The truth that God is just and holy and that our sin had to be dealt with before we could be reconciled to him and enter into a loving relationship. And in verse 3 we see that we experience this incredible relationship in the form of God's grace, mercy and peace as we live in truth and love. Over the past little while here at Christ Church, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And we've seen that they're not heavy, unreasonable burdens, but they are words designed to do us good. They're gifts from a loving Heavenly Father to his children, so that we can live in peace and enjoy life and enjoy him. God loves us, so he makes his truth known so we can enjoy a loving relationship with him and with each other. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was questioned by a ruler of the people who, it appears, had lost the connection between truth and love. He asked Jesus which was the greatest, the most important commandment. And Jesus' answer to him was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now the law and the prophets clearly have to do with the truth. God related his truth through the commandments that were given. So do you see how truth and love fit together? How they can't be separated? Jesus gave many examples of how truth and love fit together, uh, not just in theory, but how to exercise and practice truth and love together. And what we see is that love does not trump truth, nor does truth trump love. In John 8, we have an example um, of a woman who was caught in adultery, and she was brought to Jesus by the Jewish leaders an attempt to, to trap Jesus in his answer to how she should be treated. Should she be stoned to death or not? Now Jesus shows great love towards this woman and he exposes the hypocrisy of her accusers who simply had to just leave the scene. But his love did not stop at the point of not condemning her. The truth was not just for her accusers, but for her also, he instructed her to go and leave her life of sin. 
in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, the, the Apostle Paul tells us that we should speak the truth in love as we seek to grow and mature as God's people. He's really saying, don't use the truth as an excuse to be unloving and don't use love to deny the truth. Love guides and helps us to apply and live out the truth. We read in 1 Corinthians, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Knowing the truth should motivate us to love, and love should motivate us to walk in the truth. When we know the truth, it affects the way that we see the world and the way that we relate to people around us. It affects how we express our love. Especially, as we see in verse 6, that love is to walk in obedience to God's commands. Which nicely brings us to our third point. What does it mean to walk in truth? Now the Apostle John was probably in Ephesus when he wrote these three letters to the church, or the lady, and they were elsewhere in Asia Minor. And he tells us in verse 4 that he found some of the Christians from this other church uh, in Ephesus walking in truth. And this gave him great joy. So much so, he wanted to celebrate and commend them as he used them as an example in this letter to show how followers of Jesus should live. Uh, Just look around this morning at your brothers and sisters around here. They're they're an odd bunch, I realise that. Um, But... We're trying to walk together in the truth, aren't we? It should give us joy. We should celebrate that God is working amongst people like us as we try to follow him and walk in the truth. And as John looked at these uh, followers of Jesus in Ephesus, it gave him great joy that they were walking in the truth and God was at work in their lives. Walking in the truth is not an optional extra for Christians. It's a command of God. And as John observed the believers in Ephesus, he expands his theme of walking for us in verses 4 and 6 to help us grasp how we do this. He gives us three walks to go on. He gives us walking in the truth, walking in obedience and walking in love. Now, just as we've seen how our truth and love are really the two sides of one coin, uh, we now see how obedience to God's command is the outcome of love. If you like, love is the demonstration and result. Sorry, if you like, obedience is the demonstration and result of our love. And if we are obedient, we will love and follow his commands. So love, truth, and obedience are really inseparable. There's a bit of a circular argument going on here. Um, If we walk in the truth, we're walking in obedience. 
and we are walking in love, which means we are walking obedience to his command to walk in truth and to walk in love. If we, and if we love, we will walk in obedience. Okay, circular arguments make your head spin, don't they? So let's try and break into this and see uh, if we can apply it helpfully. Let's start with walking itself. I think this is pretty straightforward, uh, and we all get the idea that walking here refers to how we actively live day by day. It's the sense that this is our, the normal habit of our lives. Uh, not a sprint we train for and just do occasionally, but the normal pace of daily life, pushing us on step by step. Now there's a couple of helpful, really, um, a couple of really useful daily habits that, that can help us um, as we walk and try to walk in the truth. And, and reading God's word and even memorising some of it and praying each day is a, just a very practical, helpful daily habit to get into. And praying not just once, but trying to develop a constant sense of communicating with our Heavenly Father through the day is another really helpful habit to help us walk in truth. Now these things are obvious and you might say, well of course that's what we should be doing, that's a helpful thing to do. But for things to become habits we need to apply some discipline, we need to practice them. But if we develop these habits then they can keep us from floundering when crisis comes. Walking, yeah, progression, forward movement, step by step deliberate activity. The truth, well we've already considered what the truth is. The truth, God is truth and his word, the Bible, is truth. So we're to walk in the truth and we walk to walk in obedience to his commands. So what does obedience to his commands say to us? Well his commands are of course found in the Bible. So therefore they're true. And we must therefore be obedient to his commands and follow them. We make decisions day by day with what is in line with God's word rather than doing the things that are just about satisfying our own desires and wants. We're obedient to him. And love, well love is putting God first and others ahead of ourselves just as Jesus explained to the ruler who asked him about the greatest commandment. And Jesus demonstrated this himself, didn't he? In his life and sacrificial death on our behalf. And love is framed, as we've said, and it's grounded by God's truth. And it's expressed in our obedience. To go on our three walks, to walk in the truth, to walk in obedience to his commands and to walk in love, we need to read, to learn, and study the Bible. And as we've just said, apply it daily to our lives. And as we do that, we can seek the help of the Spirit of Truth. God loves us so much that he's given us a book full of stories, full of histories, that we can enter into and learn from. He's not given us a detailed technical Hayes manual, if anyone remembers what a Hayes manual is, probably not now. But it's not a boring technical read. And he's given these, these stories 
so that we can recognise the parallels of the characters in them with our own situations and own lives. I know there's some more technical parts in the Bible, but uh, even these are normally written from a caring pastor's heart to people like us who are struggling through life's difficulties and make mistakes. If we want to understand about forgiveness, we can turn to the story of the prodigal sons. If we want to understand why sharing the gospel can seem hard and useless at times, we can turn to the parable of the sower. How to cope with death and sickness, with loss and grief, how to make good decisions, it's all there in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 is quite clear. As we've already quoted this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we can walk in truth, obedience and love. The Bible is an incredible gift from a loving Heavenly Father who delights to give his children good gifts. We ignore it at our peril. So these believers in verse 4 were walking in the truth. They were living each day in a way that lovingly applied the word of God. They were not perfect, but they were submitting and making decisions that demonstrated that they were followers of Jesus and were not just concerned for their own lives, to live them just for themselves. They knew the grace, mercy and peace of God through truth and love. God, uh, John continues in the second part of his letter to talk about good teaching and bad teaching uh, in the church. So I'm sure these believers walking in truth were doing this together. They were walking, learning, encouraging one another. Uh, and this is one reason why the church itself is so important. God has given the church pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets and others so together the people of God may be equipped for works of service, so that we can bring glory to his name as we walk in the truth and love one another. John wrote this letter because truth is important and knowing what the truth is and how to apply it will guard us from being deceived and going the wrong way and losing the blessing that we have received in Christ. It will guard us from being ineffective and misguided believers and missing out on the joy and, and some of the eternal reward that is otherwise ours. Now walking in the truth isn't easy. And where we fail to do this, we're reminded in 1 John that God's grace, mercy and peace is always available for us. He tells us in 1 John um, verse uh, 8 and 9, he says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, if we've stopped walking in the truth, it's not too late to come back again and enjoy the freedom and joy that it brings. There is, of course, another reason why we need to walk in the truth. And that's that the world around us needs to hear and see and know the truth. And I'm sure one of the reasons why John was full of joy when he looked at these believers 
walking in the truth was because they were also being witnesses of Jesus and declaring the way of salvation. Not necessarily in the public marketplace, but in their daily lives, in their ordinary relationships as they openly and clearly walked in the truth, walked in obedience and walked in love. People around us do not walk in the truth, nor do they want to. They fight against it and they prefer my truth. As a result, they're under God's just condemnation. How else will they come to know the God of truth and love unless we, his people, make him known and understood as we walk in truth and love? The truth matters for us and the lost world around us. So let's together strive and encourage each other to walk in the truth to walk in obedience to his commands and to follow his command to walk in love.